0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Matt Woodley and is part one of our Lent 2017 series. So a true story summer, July of 2013, there was a guy off the coast of Hawaii, 54-year-old guy named um, uh, Alan Wickman, Anthony Wickman, who was doing some fishing, just trying to catch a few fish, doing some small-time fishing. While he was out there, he accidentally hooked a 230-pound tuna, once in the eye and once in the back. As you might imagine, the tuna was not very happy about this, so the tuna started raging and running away, and the fishing line actually wrapped around Wickman's ankle and started pulling him off the boat, over the boat, and the boat itself actually capsized. Well, while he was struggling with the 230-pound tuna, he managed to call his daughter with his waterproof cell phone, managed to get himself untangled from the line, but he was distraught and in distress. He said th- just basically three things, Coast Guard, tuna, help. <laughs> the Coast Guard was able to locate him with their GPS. They came, and they rescued Wickman and saved him, and he wound up with only a few minor bruises. The tuna was not quite so lucky. Uh, It was turned into the tuna that you might have ate last week. Um, But I read this story for the first time, and I thought, you know, it's a lot like life, isn't it? I mean, we're all just out on this little boat of life, trying to hook a little happiness, a little satisfaction, a little contentment, a little joy. And then all of a sudden, before we knew it, we the ones who are trying to hook things, we're the ones getting hooked. And we're the ones being pulled by forces and powers and in directions that we don't really want to go. Let me give you some examples. So let's say, for instance, you're driving down the road. You're going home from work, and it's a beautiful day, and you're cruising in your Chevy Malibu, and the road is smooth, and suddenly, this guy next to you is just like raging at you for absolutely no reason and you start like raging back at him you know and then you realize that you cut the guy off but that doesn't make you feel any better and all of a sudden you're hooked by anger and rage this has never happened to me but i have some friends that know this well let's say you're on facebook or something and you see all these people that have such amazing lives and so many friends and such a great life and you're wondering why can't i have that life And you're hooked by discontentment and unhappiness. Or you start making some money for the first time in your life, and you realize, I like money. I like money a lot. I want more money. I don't have enough money. And you're hooked by greed. Some people have just a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of tobacco, a little bit of a drug, and they're they're hooked in ways that they never imagined. I've seen people get hooked by good causes. They're doing good things. They're trying to right the world's wrongs. They're trying to fight social injustice. They're doing good things. And they get hooked by this kind of churning self-righteousness because everybody else is not doing what they're doing. Everybody else is not on board with the cause like they are. And they're hooked. The 230-pound tuna has hooked all of us. When our Gospel reading this morning, which you just heard read from the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to unpack that. It's basically three things I want to say about this hooking that goes on in our lives, the way we get hooked. First, there's bad news. Second, there's good news. And third, based on that good news, there's a new way to live. So what's the bad news? Well, I've been talking about that. In one sense, the Bible, which I'm holding here, is a story about how the human race got hooked by sin. That's one of the major plot lines in the Bible. It's not the only plot line, but it is a major one. And people that read the Bible expecting some kind of lofty literature about the beauty and goodness of humanity are a little disappointed when they open the Bible because you get to about the third page and things start to fall apart first two chapters God creates the world says it was good 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 it was was very good it's like everything's going well and then by chapter 3 in this big huge book like way back here things start to fall apart Adam and Eve these people who in a sense represent all of us all of humanity we're sort of in them they get hooked by sin and they get pulled in a direction that they never expected to go and that becomes our story Adam and Eve's story becomes our story becomes the human story and you read the Bible and you find the best people the heroes the heroines they get hooked by sin when our gospel reading which you find on page 12 if you want to follow along and look at it so The Bible's got two major sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The first book of the New Testament is this book called Matthew. It's one of the four eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. So when Matthew was writing this, he was writing it to a very particular audience. He was writing it at a specific point in time, about shortly a generation after the life and death of Jesus, and he's writing to primarily a group of Jewish people who had come to accept Jesus as the Messiah. And he's writing to encourage and to teach them how the Jewish faith is fulfilled in the message of Jesus. So he has that background in mind. And as they read this, they would have been thinking of a particular story from the Old Testament. It's a story from the book of Deuteronomy, which is one of the early books of the Old Testament. And in that book, in that story, the children of Israel, the people of God, the chosen people, had been in slavery for 400 years. They've escaped from bondage and slavery, and now they're they're moving to the promised land, and they're in the wilderness. They're in the desert, like Jesus is in the wilderness. So they would have made that association. And in the wilderness, they had to make a decision. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to obey God? Or are we going to get hooked by our sinful self-centered desires. And they choose, like all of us have chosen, to get hooked by sin. Now remember, these are not the bad people. These are the good people. These are the chosen people, and they get hooked by sin. So it's the human story, and it's the story of the chosen people of God. In the Bible, sin is not just something you do. It's not just like bad things you do, like like getting drunk or like raging at somebody on the road. It's, It's not just bad things, but it's a power that grips us. It's like that fishing line that wraps around us and yanks us. It's like a hook that pulls us. Temptation is the hook. Sin is chomping on the hook. And taking it and let it take us taking us where we want to go and this comes natural to us Jesus said in another one of the Gospels he said everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin that's the bad news everybody who commits these acts of sin is actually enslaved we are more enslaved than we would ever dare to admit and even when we're doing religious things, we can get hooked. That's the point of the second temptation. I'll get to that in a few minutes. But Jesus has, or Satan, this Satan brings Jesus to the, the temple where people worshiped God, and he quotes Scripture. You would think that would be off limits. You come to church, and you're not going to be tempted by anything, right? No. You can get tempted even in religious places, doing religious things that's how deep this problem goes it comes natural to us You know, there's a play written by a man named August Wilson set in the 1950s that was turned into a movie which just came out starring Denzel Washington and Viola Davis called Fences it's a really sad heartbreaking film but also just a really beautiful film and in this film Troy Maxson, who's this middle-aged, blue-collar worker, kind of like a, a, an everyman's kind of guy, an every-person kind of person. And you just you want to root for the guy. You want him to do well in his life. So he's married this woman, and they've been married for 18 years. They have a son together. And Troy tells his wife, Rose, that he's having an affair. And here's how the dialogue goes, which actually is taken right from the play and the movie. Rose says, I've got 18 years of my life invested in you. And Troy says, now Rose, you gotta listen to me. We can get a handle on this. We can talk this out. We can come to an understanding. And Rose says, where was we when you were with that other woman? And Troy says, well, it's just, she gives me a different understanding about myself. I can step out of the house, and get away from the pressures and the problems. I could be a different man. I ain't got to wonder how I'm gonna pay the bills or get the roof fixed. Do you understand what I'm saying, Rose? I can laugh out loud and it feels good. It reaches all the way down to the bottom of my shoes. Rose, I can't give that up. And Rose says, well, maybe you ought to go on down there and stay with her. And Troy says, You know, Rose, it ain't about nobody being a better woman or anything. I done locked myself into a pattern to take care of you, and I forgot about myself. Rose, I done tried all my life to live decent, to live a clean, hard, useful life. I tried to be a good husband to you in every way I knew how. You know, you're watching the movie, you're reading the play, and you're thinking, Troy, no, don't don't do it, just give it up, give it up, get out of it. And his best friend is going, Troy, don't do it, don't go there, and Troy doesn't listen. Now, I'd like to think that that play was about somebody fictional, living in the 1950s, but I think in a way, All of us can relate to Troy. Not with that specific sin. Maybe that's not your issue, that's not your problem, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, we get in places, we think things that we're not supposed to think, we do things that we're not supposed to do, we we go ways we're not supposed to go, and then we justify it, and we rationalize it, and we cover it up. And if you think becoming a religious person is gonna get rid of that, it doesn't automatically. We are in this deeper than we would imagine. So there's something you can know about every person in this room. They are fighting a battle with being hooked by sin. Battle might be different than yours, might not look exactly like yours, but they are fighting a battle. And if you think, oh, I'm kinda new to church, all these church people got it all figured out, they're all living such great lives, they don't know what it's like to struggle with the things I'm struggling with. That's a lie. It's not true. So don't look around and say, huh, I wonder what that guy's struggling with. Hmm, I wonder what she's dealing with. Look at you. I gotta look at me. How are you hooked? That's the bad news. What's the good news? The good news is this. Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, the Son of Man, is with us and for us and fighting for us in the midst of our temptation and our bentness towards the sins that we struggle with. He's for us. Here's our Bible passage from Matthew 4. You can follow along. I'll read it to you well. The first verse, says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you're going, devil? How'd he get into the story? What's he doing here? I don't know if I believe in a devil. I don't know if I believe in a personal Satan. Well, let me just suggest a couple things. First of all, Jesus is pretty clear. I mean, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus at all, Jesus believed in devils. Jesus believed in spiritual warfare. Jesus believed in the demonic. And he went to fight it. He went to attack it. Let me just share another little thought. You know, I've traveled around the world a little bit, and it's really interesting. In the West, we have a really hard time believing in like demons and angels and things like that, the spirit world. But actually, most people on this planet don't have a problem with that. Most people on this planet believe it. Now, I don't know, what, am I gonna say they're all stupid? They're all unenlightened? They're all uneducated, and that's why? That's kind of culturally arrogant. Maybe they have some wisdom to teach us. Maybe we've lost sight of something that they're in touch with. That's a possibility. So Satan in the Bible is a creature created by God who was created beautiful and good, who fell into sin like human beings and now corrupted and working against God. And he is there to tempt. He loves to tempt. He loves to pull you off where you're supposed to go. So Jesus is led into the wilderness. Why? He's led into the wilderness to be tempted. That's the purpose. In other words, all this stuff that hooks us, all this stuff that we battle, some of it we're just failing in miserably, some of it we're really ashamed about it, we don't want people to know about it. He walked right into the middle of that. All the places where the hooks are flying. But here's the thing He never sinned. Fully human, fully God, he never sinned. He never got hooked. The only unhooked human being that has ever existed. I want to pay attention to this guy. I want to learn more about this story. So here's the scene He's out in the wilderness, he's alone. He's hungry. He's in the desert. He's isolated. He's not Superman. He's not Captain America. He doesn't have a special shield. He doesn't have special superpowers. He is stepping into our fully human nature. He steps into it. It's kind of like, and basically, all the, the system is rigged against him in this temptation. So it's basically like a boxer, it's a boxing match. Jesus has got to put one hand behind his back, hop on one leg. The crowd is against him, the crowd is hostile, the ref is against him, it's all rigged. It's set up for him to lose. But he doesn't get hooked. So three times Satan comes at him. The first time Satan says this, reading straight from the Bible, he says, if, Satan says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, this is more than just, you've been hungry for a while, you need to have a little lunch. Remember, Jesus is reliving, re-entering into the story of Israel found in the Bible. So the temptation here is, go off course. Do your thing. Go the way of the human race. And don't worry about what God says. You get your needs met, and don't worry about God. Just go for it, Jesus. And Jesus says, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting the story from from Deuteronomy. But he's doing it right this time. Satan, 0 for 1, comes back a second time. And this time he brings him to the temple, he brings him to the religious place. And, And Satan starts quoting Scripture. And Jesus comes back again. Now you've misinterpreted Scripture. You've you've butchered it, you've distorted it, you've used it for your own purposes. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Boom, 0 for 2. Comes back a third time. This time he takes Jesus and he says, he brings him up and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says, you can have all these things right now. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die for the sins of humanity. Just go for the glory now. Take a shortcut. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Boom. Satan strikes out. Over for 3. And for the time being, he lives, leaves Jesus alone. And verse 11 says, then the devil left him, and behold, angels come and were ministering to him. Basically Satan's going What do I got to do to hook this guy I can't get him I can get everybody Matt Woodley he's easy those people very easy Jesus. I can't hook him He's unhookable But Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he doing this? Why does he have to do this fast and go into the desert and get tempted by the devil? Why, why is he doing this? two reasons number one He wants us to know that he is with us in the things that so often hook us. He is walking with us. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is born on Christmas Day, he's given a name by his earthly father, Joseph. The name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We usually talk about that at Christmas, but that was Jesus' whole life. He was with us when he was born. He was with us when he was baptized. He was with us when he's tempted in the desert. He's with us when he's eating with sinners, eating meals with sinners. He's with us when he dies for our sins on the cross. He's with us after he rises from the dead. He wants us to know that he is with us. And the second thing, he also wants us to know how to do it right. Remember our story, how we failed? Remember Israel's story? Jesus shows us how to do human life right. Have you ever wanted to be really good at something? Maybe you wanted to be a really good athlete. Maybe you wanted to be a really good singer. Maybe you wanted to be a really good dancer. Maybe you wanted to be a really good writer. Just, you want to be really good at something. And then you saw somebody who's like so amazingly good at what you want to be good at, And it's like, they do it like flawlessly. And you go, oh, that's how you kick a soccer ball. That's how you write a paragraph. That's how you play that Mozart piece. That's how it's done. Jesus' whole life was, oh, that's how it's done. That's how you're a human being. That's how you deal with things in your life. That's how you deal with anger. That's how you deal with greed. That's how you deal with lust. That's how you deal with loving people. That's how you deal with bitterness. His whole life. But see, he's not just a standard out there. He's the savior walking beside us, and in us, and for us. So there's two things you can know about every human being, and yourself. We are hooked worse than we would ever dare to admit, and you're not alone, and you're not the worst case, nor is somebody else. We're all in this. And secondly, that Jesus is with us and for us and standing on our side. So what is this new way? How do we live this out? What is What difference does this make? Well, let me give you one application, one way. It's simply this. Is that when we think about like what is the church? And maybe you've had good experiences, bad experiences, no experiences. But what is the church? Well, one of the things that the church does it acknowledges how people are struggling, but it also points them to the one who can help with their struggles. Jesus, the one who is with them and for them and advocating for them. Let me give you an example. We do this thing during this Lenten season that we're in. We started on Ash Wednesday, we go for 40 days. We do this thing called confession. And this is not so much a promo for confession, but if it works that way for you, take it that way, but it's more just this is the kind of thing churches are supposed to do. So here's here's how confession works. You sit with a priest or a pastor face to face and you look them in the eye it's actually pretty short. Maybe it could be three minutes to ten minutes. And we have this simple little like liturgy that we do. And people say, this is the sin that has a grip on me that I need to get free of. And I need to confess it to you, my brother and sister in Christ. And I want you to pray for me. And I want you to remind me that Christ has forgiven me. And you look them in the eye and you don't shirk. And you don't, you just tell them. And... You know, before I came to Church of the Resurrection, it's like, why would anybody want to do that? That sounds horrible. But you know, when you understand what Christian community is, it's actually pretty easy. It's really not that hard. I mean, you're, you might have reservations about it, but really when you get into it, you realize it wasn't that bad because we all understand where we're at. Let me give you a little example of how this works. So I have a mentor named Gordon. He told this story. Uh, he's a Christian pastor, really great guy. He went to this uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And at this meeting, there was a couple of young women. There was one woman named Kathy, who was about 35 years old. And Kathy, um, he could tell, he said, I bet you, when she was young, she was incredibly beautiful. But now, just like the last 15 years have taken its toll. Her hair was like straggly. Her eyes were like swollen. Her face was, was reddened and just looked like she'd aged like four decades. And Kathy started sharing her story, and she said, I lived in five states in the last month. I'm like virtually homeless. I just bounced around from place to place. She said, but I... And then she started sobbing. And she said, but I just can't stop drinking, I can't stop, and she just sobbed, and then this other woman named Marilyn reached over, this really large woman, put her arms around her, and just like engulfed her, and kissed her on the head, and said, it's all right, you're here now, you're with people that love you. We're going to help you stop. You're not alone anymore. Just keep coming back. Can you do that? Just keep coming back. And then my friend Gordon, he wrote this about that experience. He said, I was awestruck. The simple words, the affection, the tenderness. It was so like Jesus. I couldn't avoid a troubling question, though. He said, could this have happened in the places where I have worshipped? Would there have been space for Kathy to tell her story? And would there have been a Marilyn to respond in this way? Now, I've been at Church of the Resurrection for six and a half years. We don't do this perfectly. But i got to be really truthful and say, I found a lot of Marilyn's in this church. I have found a lot of Marylands here. And I have found a lot of people who have been that kind of presence of Jesus. This is the kind of community we are called to be. So this Lent, if you're with us during this journey, let me just encourage you a couple ways. First of all, be really honest about the ways that you have been you currently are hooked by the power of sin spend a lot less time work, worrying about how somebody else is hooked how your wife is hooked how your husband is hooked how your how your friends are hooked how the people out there are hooked ask yourself the question lord jesus how am i hooked because like troy a lot of times we can't even see it we're blind to it we're oblivious to it how am i hooked and then I want you to one more step. Take a risk. You're wondering, will Jesus be there for me? Would the church be there for me? Or maybe you've been failed in the past. But I encourage you to take a risk, to step out and to tell somebody. Or maybe you would start with Jesus. Maybe you're just like, whoa, what is Christianity? What is going on? What is the Bible? Let me just ask, you could do one thing. Just say this simple prayer to Jesus. Just say, Lord Jesus, I don't know what is going on, but if you're real, would you show yourself to me? If you're real, show yourself to me. And then I'd encourage you to pick up your Bible and read the Gospel of Mark. Start with the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest, it's the most simple, it's the most direct. Start there. And then start reading the other Gospels and just ask, Lord Jesus, are you there? And if you are a Christian, let me just say, lean into the truth of who Jesus is and take a risk. Take a risk. Be a Maryland to somebody else or find a Maryland that can be there for you, that can be the presence of Jesus to you. Amen. Thanks for listening.